in three, two, one. Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet Podcast and Music Guys. How we love music on the No Outlet Podcast. And we have a true and special appreciation for people who can play music. It's well documented that I am a failed uh, musician. I've tried to play everything a number of times. I can't do it, but I love listening. And uh, being able to play and make people move, it's truly magical. And tonight, folks, tonight we have a very special guest, a truly iconic bass player from New York City who was a founding member of Grammy-nominated artist Groove Collective and has played with so many incredible artists, including Tupac Shakur, Digital Underground, Maxwell, Jewel, India Irie, Erica Badu, and dozens more. Uh, I wouldn't have enough time to list them all. He's been featured uh, numerous times in Bass Player Magazine, and his unique approach continues to astound music lovers today. We are thrilled to have such a talented artist on the show, so please, without further ado, give a warm, no-outlet welcome to Jonathan Marin. Jonathan, how are you? Woo! Oh, I like that applause. Oh, it's let that play out a little bit. Yeah, let's, let's see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a very well they're, they're a very well trained audience. They know when to keep yeah. quiet. Yeah, it was it was big and then it went away. But that's okay. I can I can ride the wave. That's right. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So we are gonna play a game called Twenty Questions and Okay. Uh, to make it easy on myself, it always starts the exact same place. That's question number one. Question number one. In your expert opinion, how likely is it that we are currently living in a computer simulation? That is a, that is an excellent question. I I um I've, I've actually given a decent amount of uneducated thought to that question. Okay. Um, how likely? Um, I'm going to have to say pass, and that it's it's worthy of it's 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 worthy of deeper deeper study. <laughs> It's a question worthy of deeper study. I don't know. I like that. That you know what? That's an honest answer, and it's 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 on the money because it's not it's not an answer that can, it, it, to give a good answer to that question. It, it requires more than a few moments. I mean, everything that appears to be complex, like from a from a greater distance, kind of reveal. It's like when you know all the patterns are revealed. I don't know. It's entirely, it's possible that we're living in a computer simulation. It is possible. I agree that it's, it's, it's greater than zero probability. Yeah. And and that's, that's where we're going to leave that one. So let's let's get a little bit closer to, uh, to what you're all about. So obviously you're a bass player. We went over that in the intro. How did you get into music? What was your journey in not just getting into music, but then really honing in on, uh, on the bass? Um, I come from a musical family, so there was music in the house. There was always a piano. Um, my father plays clarinet and saxophone. Um, so there's just a lot of musical sound in my house at all times growing up. And it wasn't, um, you know, both my parents have good taste in music, but it wasn't like I was listening to um, James Brown and the Temptations growing up. We were listening to like Carole King and the Beatles and my um, my dad was also listening to 
kind of earlier jazz, like like he's a clar- he played clarinet, so he was really into Benny Goodman. Mm. Um, and uh, he was a big Paul Desmond fan, the saxophonist, um, and Cal Basie, things like th- those were those are the three that come to mind. So there was just there was a lot of music banging around the house, um, and I had piano lessons, and uh, I just um, I think even though I, I wasn't a good music student. You know, I had piano lessons probably from age five or something, or maybe even earlier. And I wasn't a good student of music, at least not in the traditional way. Sure. Um, but I was always really moved by sound. And I was always in, uh, maybe it wasn't that much fun to listen to when I was that age, but I was always improvising and just really captivated by sound. And, um, and I was always able to sort of go someplace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, um, and even still, uh, the music, the kind of my place in music that's the most powerful is kind of not attached to language at all. It's just, it is just sound and notes and vibrations and frequencies. Mm. Um, so then later, like as most of us did, like I, I got to choose an instrument in the fourth grade and I picked alto saxophone and then I played tenor saxophone and then I played baritone saxophone, which was hilarious because I was four foot two. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, so that was a pretty, a pretty clear trajectory now, uh, looking back, just kind of enjoying lower and lower notes. And then I had a chance in seventh grade to pick up an electric bass and that was that. That was the, coolest looking and sounding thing I'd ever been near. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I was fully obsessed and I was fully in and that's, that's, that's where it all started for me. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. No, I, I grew up in a house where there was always music playing as well. Nobody played an instrument, but everybody was into to music and, and, uh, it, I think it, it really helps in a lot of different ways. And I, and I love that that visual you gave of, you know, music being uh, sounds and combinations of sounds as opposed to words. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, so of all of those instruments, you know, it sounds like you were multiple types of, uh, of saxophones. Obviously you ended up with the bass. Was there an instrument that you found, you know, particularly challenging to, what was it about the bass that, was it just a look, wow, this looks cool or, did you instantly just have a knack for how to play it? And was there an instrument that gave you kind of fits when you were trying to play it? It was there an instrument that gave me kind of, uh, was there another instrument that gave you, was it hard to pick up like one of the saxes that you played? And did you, I'm, I'm just trying to like hone in on what was, was the bass kind of part of you the minute you strapped it on? Like, wow, this is, this is it. And I can play it so easy for me. It, almost like you took to it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's also the electric bass is a very forgiving instrument. I think of those two, piano and electric bass, if you make a sound on either of those instruments, mm-hmm. it's, you're not going to sound like a professional musician right away, but it sounds, you, you, you can play a note that sounds, you're like piano, and on a bass, you're like, oh, that's cool sound, bass. And um, until you're really good on saxophone, it still sounds pretty squawky and not so great so i could see why you know and i was i think i mean i i I enjoyed saxophone i think i'm sure i was good for 
what I was doing then. But um, I think the bass really drew me in. Uh, obviously, there's the cool coolness factor, but I think the role of the bass guitars was really attractive to me. Just um, I think like sixth and seventh grade is when I really started noticing what the bass even sounded like on records where it had been mostly invisible to me. Um, yeah, it was a lot of different things. It was a real sweet spot where I was aware of the bass. I, you know, my hands were probably just big enough to actually do something with it. Yep. And yeah, I think it was just a bunch of, bunch of good things coming together at that time. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there was a, I forget the brand name, but there was a bass that I think, Getty Lee used, but I forget who did. It was almost just like, uh, just just the square part. Like it was almost just like a. There was no oh, Steinberger. Steinberger. I know Steinberger. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I was, remember that. Felt like it looked like an instrument from the future. I always thought it looked kind of. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah. I, I mentioned in the intro that you were a founding member of uh, Groove Collective, and mm-hmm. we we invested a lot this year in a crack research team. We've got a whole field of people mm-hmm. out there, and one of the things that they that they found, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because they're not always right. Um, mm. But one of the things they found was that Groove Collective, uh, in addition to being a nomi- uh, Grammy-nominated uh, act, it was one of the only three bands that ever played in the legendary loft parties uh, that were thrown by David Mancuso. Did, yeah. That- well, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was such a rarity. I knew that there were no other gigs going on there. Um, I'm trying to think who who else would have played there. Maybe this band Conk. Um, maybe I'm even getting the name wrong. Um, but but yeah. So David Mancuso. This is by the way. This is in the category of things that I was a part of that I only later realized were really important and really cool to be connected to. Yeah. Like for I mean, it was all amazing to me, but I didn't realize kind of the historical significance of the loft or how, how heavy and deep New York city dance music culture is. Right. Um, so I was like, I was a 20 nothing year old taking public transportation in from my parents' house in Englewood, New Jersey and going to do a gig in a cool room, you know, and which, you know, would go till four, something four in the morning or five in the morning. But I didn't really know who Dave Mancuso was until later. So I'm, I'm really grateful that I got to be a part of that, but I can't take credit for knowing how cool it was at the time. You know, I just, I was, yeah. Yeah. But But, that's that's part of the organic coolness of it, that you weren't doing it for any other reason than it was right there. And it was part of what you were doing. It was, it wasn't like you were thinking to yourself, I'm going to do this because at some point in time, this is going to be cool. Which I think, yeah. I think it makes it 10 times cooler. I think that's the best yeah. part, you know? I mean, it's really, it's such a special, it's such a special scene. And I think the handful of gigs we did were really magical. But the real magic was when the dancers started showing up even after we were playing. And it was late. Um, and there was just an energy. There was just an energy to having people show up. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, you know, it's like I myself am not a dancer, but I'm obsessed with dance music. And I, you know, um, 
like maybe in my ne- next life. Um, but there was a real, yeah, there was just something, there was a real freedom and a real beauty to, to what that scene was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, I obviously I, I've never attended a loft party. I've read about them. I've heard about them. And so vicarious question for the folks in the studio audience here and those listening at home, uh, for, you know, most people are not lucky enough to have gone to one. So you, can you help us and, and just give us one example of something that was kind of looking back on it now? There's just like, wow, there's this celebrity or this person over here is doing this or something that that was just that would blow most people's minds that was just happening that you saw. I mean, more than anything, I would say, you know, if you were, I actually think that just kind of doing a little bit of reading about that scene would, would be more fruitful than hearing me um, talk about it. Uh, Like David Mancuso, The Loft, um, my, you know, my friend Ron Trent has written a lot about it, or maybe not written, but he's definitely, I've heard him on a bunch of podcasts sort of talking about that time period. Sure. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a really deep culture. And I, I, I sort of, I feel like more than knowing a lot of things to say about it, I was just able to take in that energy via osmosis just from being around. Yep. Um, but I just, uh, yeah, I think that's actually, I think that's actually enough. Yeah. Even (laughs) masters at work, body and soul. There's so many, you know, if anybody just Googles, you know, David Mancuso, the law or, uh, masters at work, body and soul. I'm trying to think my mind is blank right now. Yeah. There's a lot of good. Yeah. So you guys all heard someone more knowledgeable than me will, will have a, a giant playlist for you to check out of what the classic tracks were and it'll, it'll, it'll be the it. best thing ever. Yeah. So uh, what are you listening to now? Are there any up and coming bands that you've recently discovered or is there something in particular, maybe from the past that has found itself uh, on your playlist? Like, what are you listening to? You know, there was, there's a, uh, someone that I learned about as a, as a drummer, there's a drummer, I think he's from Seattle and Casa Overall. Do you know his, his music? I don't, but I'm writing it down. I like that name. He's, he's not only a drummer. I, I, when I first heard his name, it was just, man, there's this great drummer in town. Or I think he was in New York. Maybe he still is in New York. I don't know. Um, but he's actually, he's also an MC. He's also a producer. He's also a songwriter. Um, he sings on this record. He does a lot of stuff. Um, and it's a really, really creative record. Um, and it's really fun. Like, it's not just, um, it's not just brainy. It's, it's, a, it's just a great record. So he has, Casa Overall has a new record called Animals that I, that I really love. There you go. That's perfect. Uh, all right. You're going to help us solve one of the oldest uh, debates that, it is a simulation, by the way. I'm, I, there's no question that you're this change, is a simulation. You're changing your first answer. Yeah. I appreciate that. We can, we're going to yeah. strike it. We're going to edit it back in, and, and it's a yes. Perfect. But what? Where? if someone goes to New York City and they want to get the best slice of pizza, where do they go? Well, there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. Um, 
Hmm. I'm trying to think what would be the best. Some people would say just go right to New Haven. Yep. Skip New York altogether. Interesting. Um, some people would say uh, John's, and I think there's one. There must be. There's. I think there's. Yeah, one in the village and one on maybe on Bedford Avenue, Williamsburg. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I can. Do I have a lifeline? Is this like who wants to be a millionaire? I could. I know exactly the guy to call. I, I actually, I do have. There is a, a life raft here, and that is an alternative question, which is way easier. And that is, is white pizza actually pizza? Not to me. There you I don't, go. Although, although there's a place. Okay, so my wife and son one summer did a pizza tour of all five boroughs. Okay, like that was sort of. We never managed to get my son into camp or like maybe we'd like sign him up for something that was four days long. We've never, but one year we did a pizza tour and they did all five boroughs. They might've done two places in all five boroughs. And I can't remember the name of this place in the Bronx. We were living in the Bronx at the time that had a white slice that, that convinced her. And I never made it. What was it called? Um, yeah, I have to get back to you on that. That's fine. So, but is white? But for me, no, white pizza is not pizza. That's okay. some other thing. That's a correct answer. Um, yeah. Do you remember the very first musical concert that you attended? Um. Hmm. Like the first famous person kind of thing, like oh. the first real big concert. Well, I mean, you can answer it any way you'd like. It doesn't have to be. Um, it- okay. I got two for you. Sure. Um, so I will say a huge, a huge uh, influence on me was when the high school in Englewood, New Jersey, the high school had a giant steel drum ensemble nice. and it was like a full, you know, they had the giant bass steel pans, they had the full thing, plus they had a bass player and a drummer, and they came and played at our elementary school. And that was definitely one of those moments where I'm like, that's what I want to do. And I, I later found out that the bass player was Michael Brown, uh, my friend's older brother. Um, but anyway, I, I will remember that concert forever. Um, cool. Yeah. And when I started playing bass, my teacher, who was, just a couple of years old and he was like, um, he was 16 and I was, I was like 12, but he, he would, he would drive us into the city. And with him, I was going to shows like, um, return to forever and Jocko, Pastorius's wow. big band and, uh, Miles Davis. Yes. Like we saw some incredible shows and wow. I was tip squeak. Like I had no business being there, but I mean, they were like theaters and stuff. So it was, it wasn't like I was in bars. So these are giant names, but, but those are, that was like seventh grade. I was going to see Jocko play and, and I saw Return to Forever. It's pretty great. Yeah. No, Miles Davis. That's incredible. That's really, really what a special thing to, to, to witness. Um, yeah. You know? Um, so how many UFOs have you seen? Um, maybe none, but okay. probably dozens. As far as I know, none, but I'm going to, you know. I like that. They were all cloaked. You couldn't tell. Yeah. You were looking right at them, but you didn't know what you were looking at. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Uh, How many UFOs have you seen? I've only seen one. Was it um, unmistakable? Was it an, an experience? So, you know, it's funny. I, 
I was with, I, I have a, a witness, my sister, and we were, our whole family was there. We were looking up in the night sky in York, Maine, two years ago, and there was this V-shaped set of lights that just looked so out of place, and it was moving at a, a, a pace that you could just tell it wasn't a plane. And me and her saw at the same time. We looked up, and then we alerted everybody, like, hey, guys, what is that? Check that out. And it was almost like the minute that we did that, everyone looked up, and everybody saw it. And then almost instantaneously, it like cloaked itself and it was gone. And I'm telling wow. you, it was not a plane. It wasn't Starlink. It wasn't a satellite. It was mm-hmm. something else. And I and I don't know if it was alien in nature. It could have been, you know, built by Raytheon or, you know, Northrop Grumman or some other defense contractor. And it's just some plane that they haven't let us know is out there. But mm-hmm. it was something that wasn't commercial. It wasn't a 747, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was something unique. So I'm in. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, so I always ask people that question. And mm. it's about 60% of people have seen something. Um, yeah. You know, but I really appreciate your perspective, which is I haven't seen anybody I probably have, which I think is, is probably the most accurate answer because – Think of all the stuff that's going on around us all the time that we probably mm-hmm. can't even perceive. Um, I, I think that's that's a really good way to look at it. Um, it's also whenever we see something that doesn't make sense to us, yes. and it's, it's when it's just momentary, the brain is incredible at erasing it. There's it's, or kind of second guessing it out of existence. Absolutely. So I'm sure I've seen things that didn't make sense to me, but I didn't have a I didn't have a box to put it in. And then I didn't have it to refer back to, so it's it's gone. Yeah, no, that is on the money. I mean, optical illusions are a good example of that. Um, that's so true. Recently, Rolling Stone, uh, which I used, used to be my favorite magazine when I was a kid, it's changed a lot since then, but they put out um, a list of their top 50 bass players, okay? And I'm looking through this list, and again, Part of the research that my crack team did for me was find this list. Mm. And I'm looking at it, and my first thought is, this doesn't seem like a list of bass players by talent. This looks like a list of bass players that are associated with iconic bands. But then I, then I thought mm. to myself, what do I know? I don't know how good these people are. So I wrote down a couple of names and their position on this list, and I wanted to get your, just, mm. your, your quick reaction because, for all I know, the list is spot on. Um, mm-hmm. so for example, number 22, right in the middle of the list is, uh, is flea from the Red mm. Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. It, it, does so, he belong on ahead. that list? I mean, absolutely. Okay. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, it's not, uh, you know, I mean, this is an obvious thing to say, but music's not something you can really measure. Right. Yeah. It's like. Flea is someone who's made a big impact on us all with an instrument in his hands. And, and that's not to say he's, he's not also a great bass player. He's a great player. Right. Um, but yeah, at some point it, it does just have to be about the transmission of that energy. Like Flea made a big sound with, with his band and on his own. So yeah, props hundred okay. percent. There we go. I like that. Um, this one, Number 36, uh, 
I expected him to be higher, but again, what do I know? Less Claypool from Primus. Mm. Yeah, I mean, similar thing. Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'll never, um, I'm never going to agree with the idea of ranking anything. Yeah. But does he deserve our respect and our attention for what he's done? A thousand percent. That's, that's, what what a good point. So maybe instead of putting numbers next to all these names, what they should have done is just said, Hey, here's a great list of Mm. players, but they they put numbers there. I'm only going to say two more names. Okay. Yeah, no, but I, I appreciate that. I love talking about base players. There we go. I got a few more for you then. So number two on the list was Charles Mingus. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, a force of nature. Yep. Uh, not only on the base, uh, but as a composer and, and actually his autobiography is worth reading too. Um, yeah, I mean, just a, just a, a giant, powerful life force mm. that, that shows the base as, as his instrument. This one I really felt was, was interesting because I know the backstory of her. So Kim Deal is on the list. Kim Deal mm, was somebody. 60. Yeah, that's right. And, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and when she, she moved to Boston from Ohio, she didn't know how to play the bass. She knew how to play the guitar. They were looking for a bass player. She was the only person that answered the ad in the Phoenix newspaper, and she learned how to play the bass. And now they've got her at number 48, which... I think it falls in the same category, right? Because Pixies were, when you think about, like, what happened after the Pixies, like Nirvana has said, or when he was alive, Kurt Cobain said that Pixies were a huge influence. Mm. Their songs hold up. So was she the technically the one of the 50 best bass players? Who knows? To your point, that's a weird thing to do. But she was part of a group that certainly influenced a whole type of music. Yeah. I mean, I, it's funny. I um, I feel like I need to go listen to some Pixies because I just don't know their music. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think maybe maybe twenty years ago, I, I would have been able to call up a song or two. But um, but that being said, yeah, for yeah, recognition deserved for impact and for energy transmitted. There you go. So uh, we're going to get off of the list of, of best. I, I appreciate the indulgence there. Uh, and this is a, going to a, another nerdy question from me. Uh, I am a huge fan of, of rap, uh, all types. And when, mm-hmm. I, when I read that you worked with Tupac Shakur, my instant thought was, oh, my God, what, what was that like? Was he, was he somebody who what you saw, what he put out there to the public as Tupac was that what he was like when he was making music or was there a, a toned down version that was, you know, in the studio Tupac, as opposed to I'm, uh, you know, on an MTV interview Tupac, like what was it like working with him? So um, his name is on my list of people I've worked with because how could I leave that off? Right. But I, the entirety of my time making music with Tupac Shakur was one afternoon um, taping two songs for this uh, MTV uh, live live show. So I remember that show. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Yeah, so I was there. I swear it. But do I? Did I know Tupac Shakur? No, I not really. Yep. 
but I will say he was great to deal with. Like the vibe was great. There was a real openness and a real friendliness, um, both from him and Shakji from Digital Underground was was yeah. on that one too. So I can't claim to really have a have a good answer to that, except for that um, the whole vibe was really really warm and really welcoming and fun. That's a great answer. I mean, you spent an afternoon making music with Tupac Shakur and the yeah. vibe was good. That's perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear. Um, how prepared are you for pumpkin spice season? Um, I'm, I'm fully prepared to avoid pumpkin spice at all costs. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big pumpkin spice guy myself. And I, asked somebody one time if they felt like it should be outlawed and um, they reprimanded me and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, if people, if people want to, uh, you know, if people want to, to have everything pumpkin spice, they should um, just not for me. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you dress up for Halloween? Uh, I, I don't know that I ever have, even as a little kid. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. So we were just, I was talking to somebody about this, you know, Halloween's for selling candy. You know, that's, that's Mm -hmm. the number one purpose, you know, selling costumes and for kids. Right. But Mm -hmm. I always felt like, and again, I was, I I love getting different perspectives because I often change my mind, but my perspective up until recently was once you're an adult, that, that should kind of be it. Like you shouldn't be going out and getting a pirate costume and, you know, Mm -hmm. dressing up like it's over. But this person reminded me that, hey, if they're not doing anybody any harm, then who cares? And that's true. Um, mm-hmm. But I still don't think I could get dressed up now and, and <laughs> really and be in the ho- Halloween spirit. So it's just something that's been on my mind, especially now that we're we're coming up to Halloween. Yeah. I, I mean, I see like I have uh, actually the drummer in, in Groove Collective, um, Genji Sirisi. He and his wife every year make really elaborate, and their kids make really elaborate Halloween costumes. They're both artists, uh, like visual artists, you know, as well as musicians. Um, so they really go to town. But I see how much they enjoy it and how much they put into it. So I, I you know, it's not for me, but I, I see the, I see the value in it for sure. And and you know, and my son, you know, was into it when he was little. And that was really fun too. What is your? I played a few gigs wearing a mask. Okay. Like for different reasons. Yeah. And that I loved. Like that, there's something there. Like whether I don't know Daft Punk or the Residents or any group you get. Like the idea of. Yeah. So what was what was your mask? What was the mask of? I think it was just a blank mask. It was like a. It was just a. It was it was almost like a reflective chrome mask. Yeah. For my friend's band called. there's, it's a, it's a, they're called breast fists, believe it or not. Um, you will like them. I invite you to check out Bill Campbell's band called breast fists. There's no violence in the music at all. If the, if the name makes you think somebody's about to get hit in the chest, they're not. Is it, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm hearing it wrong. Are you saying, bre- what are you saying? Breakfast? Almost. It's breast fist. Oh, breast fist. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Anyway, yeah. But anyway, so those guys always dress up when they play, and I, I've done a couple gigs for them with them. Yeah. Um, There's a group called Glass Beams from Australia. And they, oh yeah. And they wear these weird masks a lot. 
too. Yep. Which I think is kind of cool. It's almost like it's like Kiss was wearing they were wearing masks in the seventies, mm-hmm. but it was just masks made of black and white paint. Um, mm-hmm. But it was really the same idea, you know, Kabuki theater, if you will. Yeah. Um, okay, so AI has been everywhere recently, unfortunately or fortunately. It's creeping into mm-hmm. every aspect of our lives. What are your thoughts about AI-generated music? AI-generated music? Yes. Um, I mean, I wonder what the... I wonder what the end, what the desired end goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, in, in the arts, the concern is always that AI generated media is going to replace, um, going to replace composers and, uh, screenwriters, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, so that's the, that's sort of the model where everything is, for sale and it's a job and we all need to have jobs and to earn money. Um, you know, my feeling about it all is even when I'm making, I'll just speak for myself. Even when I'm making bad music, it's for me, it's, it's a spiritual practice. Like I don't want to, I don't want to give that up. Even if, um, even if I could enter a few prompts and get a symphony, um, I kind of, I just, I'm sort of in it to have the experience of making music, mm-hmm. I, you know, as far as the industry and, um, earning money and all those things, those are important issues too. But even, even just like, I don't want to give up, you know, I don't want to give up having this experience. So I don't, I don't understand, um, the importance. I mean, I guess if you're wanting music for your pharmaceutical ad and you can get music for free, you know, I I see how that takes money away from a composer. I see how that might be attractive to a company that didn't ever really want to pay a composer anyway. Like I I see how it all plays out. But for me, it's music is a spiritual practice Mm -hmm. and I have no, no interest in giving that up. Yeah. No, a- amen to all that. And I think that, you know, you kind of got to the end of the equation, which is, you know, the question is why, what are people looking for with AI music? And the answer is like, unfortunately, a lot of answers in our world today is make more money, save money. Right. Yeah. Um, but the other end of that is that to your point, you're, you're, you're killing an art form by taking away an opportunity for somebody whose life, you know, passion is creating uh, this music. And, and I just, I personally think it's, it's never going to, you're never going to be able to replicate uh, soul, uh, the human experience. You just won't. Can, to your point. Yeah. I think that pharmaceutical ads is a great example. Could you come up with something that's got a beat and it's got a little melody and you can watch people dancing and jumping in pools and talking about how their psoriasis is better. Yeah. You can, mm-hmm. but that's never going to move somebody to the point of tears, which a lot of songs and, and smiles and laughter. It's like, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to have that same impact. At least I hope it doesn't. I, I don't believe it will. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't even claim to know where this all leads. And I know that all the new technology that was introduced that I use was frowned upon by people, the people who were, you know, came just before me, like whether it's sampling, sampling uh, yeah. other songs or, you know, I mean, so I know that there's, 
um, you know, in my resistance to it, there's, I, I'm, I'm aware that there must be some like, Hey, you kids get off my lawn energy. You know, <laughs> like I know that the times are, the times are changing. So yeah. I don't, I'm sure there's some angle by which real art will be made and things that move people will be made. Yeah. Um, just for me, I don't want to like, I, I don't, I don't want to do any less music. I want to do more music. There you go. Yep. Uh, agree. Uh, okay. We got two questions left. Um, one is super easy and one is just a pure opinion. And uh, the opinion question is what's your favorite TV show right now? Um, I'm not watching a lot of shows right now. Let me think. Um, what's my favorite show? What's your favorite show? Well, I mean, uh, my favorite show in the last couple of years is a show called Severance. Um, oh yeah, with Adam yep. Scott and uh, yep, I, I watched all of it. So I really i I liked that because I felt like it was a fresh approach on like an office show. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that it does it it works on many levels, and uh, I hope they can stick the landing because you know shows like that that bring you way outside sometimes don't know how to mm-hmm. bring it home. Like Westworld, I really like that, but they just went off course. I, I like any show that makes you um, you know think about uh, a possible reality that's not what we live in, but it could be mm-hmm. potentially. So I love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's, I, I'm not sure if I'd say it's my favorite, but it's one that's that when you asked me the question, it was the first one that stuck out. Severance is a good one. I might've, I might've come up, I, I might've said that too. Um, yeah. I don't know. There, there's, there's so, I feel like, it's like the people who are writing shows right now or all the people are, there are a lot of people operating at a really high level. Like there's a lot of things that have blown my mind that I'm probably not able to think of right now. No, that's fine. We're going to go with severance. We, we, we are on the same page there. Last question. Uh, There's a whole room of people in the studio audience and folks listening at home and they're all wondering the same thing. How can I learn more about Jonathan's music how do I see him perform? Where do I listen to his music? How can I follow him on social? Let's get some plugs out there if you have any. Mm. I mean, you know, um, the most immediate connection is probably Instagram right now, yep. where I, I actually upload a lot of. Um, I haven't, I haven't, uh, like this month, but I'll, I upload clips of the music I'm working on and developing and things I'm practicing. So there's a lot of evidence that I play the electric bass on Instagram. Um, and I like the way you put that. That's good. Yeah. Um, and, and also like I'm, when I do shows, um, I, I've been better and better about posting. I have a website, um, which is just jonathanmarin.com, but I would say Instagram, I'm more likely to kind of update just cause it's kind of easier and more fun. Sure. And what's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's Jonathan Marin music. Easy to remember. Perfect. Yeah. Outstanding. Well, if you could see the crowd here, you'd be impressed. They are on their feet again, just like Amazing. The, the well-trained audience that they are. Uh, Jonathan, I, love I appreciate you guys. Yeah, no, they're, they're great. They, they came with the place. Um, I, I really do appreciate you taking some time out, answering my dumb questions. Uh, I, I, again, we are uh, big fans of, of the music that you make, music in general, and I love the fact that, you know, I ask questions and sometimes I get – you know, kind of the obvious answer or, or the answer that seems the easiest to give. And I really liked how 
you gave unconventional answers to questions. Um, and that's exactly what I was hoping for and what I usually hope for. So thank you so much for playing along. We really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Super awesome. fun. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. All right. Take yeah. care.